Hello everyone and welcome to Souls Born of Play 190. Yes, every Wednesday in Sound of Play, not Soulsborne of Play. Uh, send your complaints to Jacob, by the way. He's <laughs> responsible for that pun. Um, we bring you some of our favourite and your favourite pieces of video game music um, that has uh, brought joy to our lives over the many decades that we've been playing games. As is tradition on Sound of Play, every 10th episode we do a special, and uh, this special is on the From Software Soulsborn, in quotation marks, um, series. Um, you've already heard a track from Demon Souls, which we'll talk about in a bit, um, but I want to... Um, issue a spoiler warning um we will be talking about all the details um of these games so there will be specific tracks that um, tie in with the storyline of these games and uh we're not we're just gonna talk freely about it so it's time i introduced um the co-host of this uh this edition of sound of play jacob geller and with fire came disparity that's that's how I'm opening. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, Jacob, Demon Souls. Um, we just heard the uh, the uh, essentially the uh, opening track of that game. Um, so it's worth uh, giving some credit here to uh, Shinsuke Kido. Shinsuke Kido is responsible for the entire Demon Souls track. Later down the list, as we go through this, we're going to start encountering soundtracks that have multiple credits, but for now we're keeping it simple. So Demon Souls was released um, on the PS3 in 2009 and of course was developed by From Software. 
I love this piece of music. Um, this was actually when we were kind of creating the, the notes for this show. This was actually one of your picks, Jacob. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, for me personally, I think this track, along with the opening movie, does such a great job of kind of establishing how weird Demon Souls is going to be. It's it's a really weird one because. That that opening cinematic on its face is like the most just video gamey thing you can possibly imagine, where it's just like yeah. it's a knight in shining armor fighting skeletons and then there's a dragon and and like none of that sounds particularly weird, but but how it all fits together and this th- th- this opening track, which sounds almost like mischievous. It's, it's just it, yeah demon souls has a very unique tone um and and this this lands you right in it where it's like you're doing all this fighting and you get punched by a big dragon it doesn't really have any greater context in the story it's just like yeah this is something you're gonna do and you're gonna die a lot welcome to demon souls yeah because like you say so many games like the, the, what the content of the cutscene is no different than so many action RPGs that we've seen before. It's just that I, I feel like the music is important for communicating how kind of surreal all of this is and how surreal the experience is going to be. Like, it's not triumphant. It's not mm-hmm. like so many action RPGs have this like big, you know, epic opening. Yes, like I'm, fi- I, you know, slightly different genre but i'm thinking of like the opening of final fantasy 12 just because that that podcast for kane and rinse is on the on the horizon but like how like the music swells and it's triumphant and you're just celebrating this fantasy landscape and in demon souls it's no no this is really this is really dark and creepy and actually fighting dragons is not glorious at all it's scary frankly did you see that thing roaring at the end it's terrifying and that dragon I feel like I just want to call out like how good that dragon design is. The kind of like yeah. multiple layers of teeth has just always stuck with you know, Dark Souls and Demon Souls and and every every kind of game in this group has a lot of dragon stuff. But but this one still stands out. And and just seeing that in the opening cutscene is like, oh boy, we're we're in for something here. So after you've watched the opening uh, cutscene. You then start the game and you have to create a character. So that brings us on to track two from Demon Souls, um, Souls of Mist, which is very similar to the Maiden in Black track from Demon Souls. When I was kind of like thinking of tracks that I liked from Demon Souls, this one didn't stand out, but then I just kind of started listening to it and was hit with a real wave of nostalgia um i think it's also like the load screen music so it is one that you hear hear a lot in the game but it's just so it it is a different kind of weird than the first track but it's it is similarly unorthodox i feel like this track almost feels like you're underwater you know like it it could be a water level theme and that's kind of the the overall vibe of demon souls is just kind of like you are in over your head and and the whole the whole kind of like central hub is this very kind of almost submerged feeling place like maybe it's underground maybe it's just kind of in an abyss somewhere but this track yeah it just kind of 
it, it unexpectedly raised memories. What I love about this piece of music, and, and this actually applies to um, the Maiden in Black theme as well, is that it feels like the one bit of peace that you're allowed to have mm-hmm. um, in this game. It's like the save room music. It's quiet, it's relaxed. Almost nothing else about the soundtrack is this <laughs> right. quiet or relaxed. You know, we get tracks later on that are, are definitely, you know, I don't know, they're not as intense. They're kind of or, understated. Or angry, but they're, they're still creepy. There's like an underlying threat to even the quieter pieces of music in Demon Souls, whereas this genuinely feels safe and you genuinely feel like, right, okay, I can take a breath before, you know, plunging into the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you compared it to, um, you said it was it's the save room music. And, I mean, uh, the, the comparison I would make is Resident Evil 4, that music in that oh, game. Which, which is one of my favorite tracks ever, the, the save room and that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this, this track really evokes that same feeling of, okay, and relax. Um, So this is Souls of Mist from Demon Souls. On to something a bit more intense, I think <laughs> it's fair to say. Um, so this is the Tower Knight theme. Tower Knight is not the first boss that you fight in Demon Souls, but it's one of the kind of first tier of boss fights that you encounter. I remember seeing uh, lots of signs in front of it that said, the real Demon Souls starts here. So... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, of course, is before every boss in the game, because people just like to write that on the ground. Yeah, I, I, uh, this, this piece of music is another example of uh, Demon Souls soundtrack being a bit more unusual than uh, some of the other Souls soundtracks. I just, I love that brass when it comes in. It's, it's really nice yeah. to hear, hear that. It really sells like the power of the boss. Like it feels thunderous and uh, intimidating. I, I I think it's really effective at selling the kind of the weight and um, physicality of the Tower Knight. Oh, and we have to we have to call out that this is one of one of the several tracks in Demon Souls that is almost directly laughing at you. <laughs> that it just has the like yeah. ha 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 ha, and, and <laughs> there is like there's even that kind of. Uh, kind of recurring villain of like the I don't I don't know what he is but in Boletaria there's the kind of like uh, fat guy in the hat who continues to laugh at you and it's like this starts he kind of runs away and then the tower knight shows up and it feels you feel so ludicrously like out of your depth you know like this is one of the first moments where it's like oh my god like this isn't a cutscene like I have to just hit this thing until it dies 
And, and you know, I think whatever Dark Souls or, or you know, Soulsborne play, game you play first, you're going to have that experience. Um, and Demon Souls was first for me. And so getting into this and, and just realizing, like, nothing is going to happen until you beat this. You know, there's there's no one who's going to kind of save you or you're not like supposed to die. Like you just have to stick with it. And and so having having this like almost mocking track playing during that is is very fitting. So this is Tower Knight from Demon Souls. Maiden Astraea. This is one of my favorite pieces of music in Demon Souls, but also in this series that From Software has created. I love when From Software uses music to subvert what's going on in the scene, as it were. Um, they do this several times. Um, we're going to talk about another instance of it. You're about to fight a demon. Maiden Australia is a demon. Everything about the context of the scene is telling you that something is wrong. Uh, you're not the hero in this scenario. And one of the ways it communicates that is Maiden Australia, like literally begging for you to walk away. Like, look, we are we are peaceful people. We're not doing anything wrong. Walk away, please. And then there's the music, which is so tragic and beautiful. Every time I hear this, it gives me like goosebumps. I think this is one of my, like, honestly, like I, I said it was one of my favorite pieces in the series. This is one of my favorite pieces of music in any video game. I, it's, uh, it's up there, like among my, it's among my favorite tracks. I think it's so well done, but specifically the context in which it's used is so, I, I just think it's uh, it's brilliant, and it's it's unexpected on every level because you know you're the idea of like not killing a demon in Demon Souls is already kind of unusual, but hearing a track like this in the place that you encounter it, which is uh, content warning here, like a sewer filled with essentially like aborted children, 
It is, yeah. it is it is one of the most disgusting places that the game brings you to. And you, you know, you fought kind of like rotting things down here before and other just like horrendous, horrendous monsters. And so to kind of start hearing this track in the middle of all that is it really throws you for a loop because it is whatever you are preparing for. It was not this. Okay, so you've battled through Demon Souls, you've got to what the final boss, you've made that choice as to whether you're going to let uh, the Maiden Black um, send the old one back to sleep, or you're going to kill her and, um, <laughs> and take all the souls for yourself. Then this music starts to play. I did not realize up until researching for the show that there were even multiple endings in demon souls or i just like i didn't i didn't remember yeah because i just got i got the good ending the first time that i played through where it's just, just the not evil one the one where you don't kill her yeah um, yeah and and then this is a really evocative track and and you know just it it leaves the game on a very different note than the one that i got yeah and it's it's weird. I mean, I, I feel like thinking back on my experience with Demon Souls, I was such kind of a baby in terms of this 
genre of games or this this very specific subgenre because it was kind of the only one that existed at the time. But now when you're when you know, when I play through a new Dark Souls game or whatever, I kind of expect there to be hidden decision moments or things you do that affect the outcome. But here I was really blind going through it. And and that makes it a really valuable experience to me that that I have this this memory of just kind of stumbling through this proceedingly more more difficult and more kind of like grueling series of challenges it feels fitting for for an ending theme but it's so full of regret mm-hmm. um it feels like oh no like it just feels <laughs> like right. creating that feeling of um mistakes were made or you made a mistake by making the choice that you've you've gone down you've made you've done something selfish and other people are going to suffer for what you've done mm-hmm. i really like it when from software kind of lean into the kind of melancholic existential fear angle with their with their music and and their aesthetics and i think this track in particular kind of really drives that home um so this is one who craves souls from demon souls
Right, we're on to the next game in the Souls Pawn series, which is Dark Souls. You've reached Dawn Orlando. Uh, you enter the Great Hall, and you're confronted by two friendly chaps <laughs> who everyone loves and doesn't have a bad word to say about. It's your old friends, Ornstein and Smo. So one of the complaints that the Dark Souls soundtracks in general um, get is that it's filled with tracks where it's just choirs being loud and <laughs> and, uh, and and chant and chanting. And I feel like this is like if you were to pick a track that kind of summed up what people's impressions of all Dark Souls boss battle music is. Uh, this would be the one. But I think, you know, <laughs> despite those complaints, I still think this is a really, really good and memorable track. Every other boss you've fought thus far has felt kind of dirty and and creepy and weird. There's something very, I don't know, grand and flashy and the, like Ornstein... Uh, Ornstein specifically has like a like a regalness to him. Right. Like these these feel like royal knights. These aren't monsters. They're not demons. They're they're warriors who fight with honor. Ornstein fights with honor. Maybe not Smo. <laughs> yes, Smo um, eats people. Uh, yeah, Smo eats people. But he does have a good tailor, <laughs> which the, which counts for a lot. Um, but um. You know what I mean, Jacob? Like, there's something, there's something more majestic about this piece of music um, when compared to what came previous. And it's really, it's really interesting in context of Anne Orlando because this is, this is kind of getting into like the lore of the games. But like yeah. that, that, that glamour, that kind of the the regalness is is fake. Like it's an illusion. Yeah. You know, you yeah. as soon as you go past, you can kind of kill Guinevere. And then it's like it's all dark and grungy and it is creepy, just like the rest of the world. But for, you know, for a brief amount of time, you're in a place that doesn't actually feel like it's decrepit. And and then you you fight, you know, Pikachu and Snorlax or <laughs> whatever, whatever yeah, your yeah. favorite fat boy and slim. And then and then you reveal that like, oh, no, this place sucks, too. Like it's it's all bad. Um, and you you got to spend just a little while in like the golden light and then it all fades away just like everything else.
So the next track is the piece of music that plays when you get down to Ash Lake, um, an area um, that has a lot of significance to in the kind of grander lore and history of the, the world that Dark Souls exists within. This track is called The Ancient Dragon. And when you go down to Ash Lake, it feels like you're getting like a glimpse of of what the world was before the advent of fire, before everything started kicking off with the the four lords and the furtive pygmy not being particularly ethical <laughs> ethical with his use of the dark soul and all of that stuff. You're getting a glimpse of what what that neutral state was when the ancient dragons were the only life in existence and their arch trees. And this track feels like it's mourning the loss of like a great civilization, like, not civilization, a great race of creatures who were wiped out to almost extinction because Gwyn fancied grabbing power for himself. Mm-hmm. I don't get any sense that the dragons were aggressors in this conflict, other than and other than defending themselves against dragon slayers and archers and what have you. Right. Um, I'm sh- I'm sure. I mean, Calamy is a bit of a, uh, an asshole, <laughs> but like I, I think I, he has I, good I, reason I, to be. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Like generally, I think the ancient dragons are very much victims in, of this conflict rather than any kind of great monster that needed slaying and yeah i i this track feels like it's it's grieving um for that 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 lost people that this this world has now forgotten no there's there's a lot to talk about with this track because not only is it is it everything you said and it is this kind of like you know primeval you're at the bottom of the earth or kind of it's like dark souls version of the big bang is just this like infinite ocean with with trees in it um but it's the only place in the game other than firelink shrine where there's ambient music you know like Mm. one of the interesting things about all of these games soundtracks is there aren't any like there there's no music for for most of the game and then you like walk into a boss and then it starts playing when you enter this area which is just stupidly well hidden i mean it's literally behind an illusory wall behind an illusory wall like you have to hit two things that just look like they are regular walls and then climb down a giant thing and then get like punched by a bunch of mushrooms or whatever it is entailed and getting to the Great Hollow. Yeah. And so when you get there and and you hear this, I mean, it, this is this is hyperbolic, but it almost feels like a religious experience because it is just yeah. like it is it is so oof. it's just it's just a lot. And it's really not what you're expecting at that moment. And because they've never used music in this way in this game, when it happens, it just feels so different than than everything else. And you kind of get the sense that's like, oh, this is this is a holy place almost. And then the track itself is very weird because I feel like the pauses in between the kind of choruses feel too long, <laughs> you know, like it it feels like they hold for for a couple seconds more than you expect them to. Yeah. yeah. And so you're always kind of on edge, but but there's not really anything that happens here. It's just this 
very, <laughs> very kind of grand, unsettling. You know, it's the opposite of claustrophobia. You can just see, you can see infinitely in every direction, and it and it freaks me out. Going from one ancient dragon to another, much less peaceful and friendly uh, dragon, um, we're talking about Calamite from uh, the Autorius uh, uh, of the Abyss DLC. Of the original Dark Souls, Calamite is kind of like the the end game boss. You know, he's kind of de- designed to beat after you've beat everything else in the dlc and and i think 
I think generally is considered to be like the hardest in the game or one of the hardest bosses in the game. And one of the cool things about it is it like it feels like a dragon, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, it is weird to say that because like we have no point of reference, but it feels like what you would like to have fighting a dragon feel like where it's just so big and and its moves are so well animated that you really you really feel like you're up against this this brutal fire breathing lizard in the dark soul sense when you finally beat it it feels pretty incredible i agree that it's probably the hardest fight in the game but i i found him much more fun to fight against than manus oh agreed yeah yeah who's who's maybe less difficult but is his animations are so erratic and hard to read um that he it makes him less fun to fight whereas calamite is really powerful and if he hits you he hits you hard um but he telegraphs his attacks so well it's a pleasure to kind of master um, master him and uh, get used to his timings and his and his animations. And this music is suitably uh, intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, I because Calamy, I don't really think has much in the way of larger implications in the plot in the same way that um, Artorius or Manus or or anyone else. Um, who's like a major, major boss fight in the game. He's very much kind of like a test your skill if you think you're hard enough. Uh, right, and, experience. and in line with that, when you beat him, all that you get is a ring that makes you take twice the amount of damage you already were. Yeah, like, exactly. You get, you get almost nothing for killing him except kind of like the ability to pat yourself on the back and say, hey, good job, me, I beat a dragon. Good job, yeah. And I, I think the music reflects that. It's like there's no let's you know let's make no illusions here. This is you're not doing this for any kind of story reasons. You're doing this because you want to fight a big scary dragon. So we're going to provide you with big scary dragon music, mm-hmm. and it's great, and it's great, and it's really effective.
conquered all of Dark Souls' uh, major obstacles. You've collected the souls. You've put it in to the golden chalice, which I've blanked on the name on. Uh, what's uh, the, it called? The Lord Vessel. The Lord Vessel. You've put all the souls in the Lord Vessel. You've opened this gateway where some weird ghosts are hanging out, and you try to say hello, but they're just carrying on. And uh, you you, you <laughs> find yourself in the kiln of the first flame. You walk you walk through the depressing landscape, and then you finally reach um, who should be the most intimidating, the the baddest of the badass. Uh, Gwyn himself. Turns out he's a sad old man. Yeah, turns out he's very much past his prime, um, and he's just gone mad uh, due to hollowing um, and due to kind of desperately trying to continue his his age of light and uh, failing. This piece of music, Gwyn, Lord of Cinder, is another example of Dark Souls kind of subverting your expectations with their aesthetic choices because Gwyn, as, as I've said, was built up to be the final boss. And in any other game, the final boss is the hardest encounter, the, you know, the most intimidating, whereas this just feels sad and depressing and you end up pitying Gwyn for desperately clinging on to a dream um, that was doomed to fail. This kind of simple piano piece has really stuck with me um, ever since finishing it for the first time. Yeah, I think it's stuck with everyone. I mean, this is, you know, using using the term famous is, you know, a little a little bit dicey in just like a video game that a lot of people have played. But but this track, there is no one who has played Dark Souls that wouldn't remember like what the vibe of Gwyn's music is. Do you know, it's just yeah. like it is this fight. Um, and and as someone who I'm not good at getting the lore of a Dark Souls game on the first go round, you know, I'll kind of play through and just be like, oh, huh, that happened. And then watch videos and kind of like get a deeper understanding of it. This track does a lot of work in informing you on kind of what is happening and and kind of how you should be feeling, because if you, I don't know, I think if a different song was playing, I wouldn't necessarily know that this was supposed to be kind of a, a broken vessel. But because of this song, then you kind of realize like, oh, this this whole world is kind of built on on this like lie of of great men continuing their power. Um, and so it, you know, it works when you know what's happening, but it also works when you don't know what's happening because it's just that evocative on its own. Um, and, and I really appreciate that as someone who usually doesn't know what's happening when I'm playing these. So this is Gwyn, Lord of Cinder from Dark Souls.
right, it's the sequel. It's Dark Souls 2. Uh, Dark Souls 2 was released in 2014. It has come out on the PlayStation 3, the 360, PC, PS4, Xbox One. No Switch version yet, but maybe that will happen. Who knows? I I doubt it. (laughs) I don't think anyone's clamoring for it. Um, This soundtrack was also composed by Matoya Sakuraba. So he returns, um, and again, he's composed every single track um, in the in the Dark Souls 2 soundtrack. Um, this first track from Dark Souls 2 is Medulla. So Medulla is essentially your home base in much the same way that Firelink Shrine is in the first game, and, um, and uh, the Nexus is in uh, Demon Souls. What I really love about this this piece is that it really evokes the ocean and the sea and um, the peace of just kind of staring out at the waves. And it kind of and it, it feels like the track was specifically composed with kind of the, the, the waves in the background, the soundscape of the waves in the background in mind. I think this works really well in context um, of just kind of soaking in that scene. Um, and and yeah, it just it reminds me of when I went sailing with my granddad when I was when I was a little boy. Just that kind of feeling of just utter peace and and just that kind of rhythmic nature of the water. Um, yeah, I love this. Yeah, piece. I think I mean Majula is an astonishing feat of just like place making in video games. Yeah. It just it's it is certainly the most part of like memorable part of Dark Souls two for me. I get a visceral experience when I hear this track of just like being back in Majula, and it is it is so it is so gorgeous, and and this track is peaceful, but it's also it's not. It's not like a happy track, you know, it's it's still relatively minor. And and there's this feeling of like you're you're safe, but you're also kind of, you know, you can't stay here forever. And the people who are staying there forever are, are kind of losing it, you know, in, in the Dark yeah, Souls theme. Yeah. They kind of they kind of uh, go crazy after a while. And and the ocean is gorgeous, but it's also it's also eroding where you are, you know, like the the walls just like fall into the sea here and there are these huge drops everywhere you look and uh, yeah it is you know dark Dark souls 2 is kind of a a controversial game in the series and i and i really like it a lot but i don't think i think even it's you know it's biggest uh biggest detractors still kind of admit that like majula is a hell of a place
Dark Souls 2 is a controversial subject um, in the Souls community. I I generally feel that the Dark Souls 2 DLC is less so. Yeah. I, I think a lot of people feel um, that where the, the main game kind of fell down in some areas, the DLC really picked up the baton and and uh, delivered something special. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we've we've picked a track from one of those DLCs. It's the Crown of the Ivory King DLC. Um, And this track is the Burnt Ivory King. Now, Jacob, the intro for this fight (laughs) is so good. It is is ludicrously (laughs) grand. (laughs) Yeah. You just drop in, just drop into hell. And you see, like, so for context for anyone who's, you know, listening to this, who's who doesn't care about spoilers, but is is interested in in, in Dark Souls anyway. But whatever. Um, the context around this is that you've been exploring this kingdom that is covered in ice and snow, and everything is barren and cold. And the last thing you're expecting when you dr- jump down this hole is for all of that to bleed away and make way for the these wiry roots and flames and lava as you dive down and land in hell essentially yeah i mean it is it's like it's the polar opposite of the the great hollow which was like the tree place that you were in in dark souls one because that's kind of infinite and you look out and it seems you know kind of like primeval and serene and this also seems you know ancient but it's just like 
it is it is the core of the earth and you can see as far as you want in any direction and it's just like a tsunami of fire just like it is it is really terrifying i mean the first time i started this i think i died almost immediately just because i was so taken aback by like what i had just fallen into the track itself though (laughs) to, to get us onto the main subject at hand i really like it i it's not actually um one of my favorite tracks in the game uh, it, it, uh, even amongst the, the, the DLC specifically just because uh, it kind of at this point in my Dark Souls playing I've started to get a little bit what's the word um, tired of the kind of choir just the similar the use of very similar kind of techniques in creating the boss battle music so I'm kind of curious to hear why, because uh, this was one of your picks, Jacob. Why you lo- why you love this track? I mean, I think you're right. It is it is everything kind of if you are going to distill Dark Souls and especially Dark Souls two down to a sound, it would very much be this one because one of the criticisms of this game is like, boy, you sure fight a lot of just dudes in armor, and and this yeah. is another fight where you're just fighting dudes in armor. But I I think that it does it's it's not it's not quite just like at an 11 the whole time. Like there is some some interesting kind of complexities in the song here and they do a little to make it, um, you know, there are there are kind of like uh, peaks and valleys to this because the way that this fight goes is is you're fighting kind of a bunch of smaller people at first and then and then the big guy comes out and then you do that. And so it allows the it allows you kind of like a little breathing room in the middle where it's like it's really big and then it goes down a little bit and then it's big again. And so I just I think that it's really interesting from like a dynamic perspective. And also it just it it brings back the memory of this fight and and what a memory. And so that's kind of that's one of the reasons that I picked it.
We've had a lot of uh, examples of music that subvert your expectations. Here's another one. King Vendrick is kind of built up as... So as you say, Jacob, this kind of isn't actually a subversion because it's very much following the trend from Dark Souls 2 of building up a king and then realising that he's sad and depressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think I really like the way this example articulates, um, mainly because it's not a boss fight unless you want it to be. Um, so it's just King Vendrick kind of walking around naked. He's got like a pile of his clothes in the corner, dragging his sword behind him. And this music, um, it's less, it's actually kind of less sad and more like, huh, what, what's going on? (laughs) Yeah. Cause like with, with Gwyn, there's like an emotional thread that kind of runs through that whole fight, including the music. Whereas this is more like, well, this is why I was here. If this is a dead end, what do I do now? Like, where where am I going? And the fact that like the fight is completely optional is like, am I am I meant to stab you now? Am I meant to am I meant to stab King Vendrick? And and that doesn't really lead to anything. Um, yeah, I kind of like the question mark that this music represents. Yeah, I mean, if if we were going to go into it, there's there's actually this interesting theme of Dark Souls Two, which is like almost dementia or or like yeah, Alzheimer's, yeah. which actually, and I should call out the Dark Souls Two issue of Kane and Rince is one of my favorite issues like of the whole show and it's because they're both debates about it but uh, but you also hear kind of like the emotionality of how much this this story can can affect people uh so go back and listen to that but um yeah this the scene where you get in and it it just kind of seems like you know the idea of going hollow in dark souls is you you once had a purpose and you've lost it and and in sometimes it seems like going hollow kind of corrupts people and so they become violent. But in this, it is it is absolutely just like I cannot remember what I was supposed to be doing. It's just it's just this king who is also, you know, a good 20 feet tall, like he's a grand figure, but just walking in circles, dragging his weapon behind him. And it is it, it really gets across this kind of unsettling rather than sad because the implication is you know if you ever gain power in this world all that's going to happen to you is this
deciding to uh, do this sound of play, and we were kind of figuring, oh, Sekiro's coming up. Let's do let's do a kind of soul special. Bloodborne is a weird one um, because it's not really a Souls game. It's got all of the kind of similar tropes and, and mechanics, but they've deliberately named it Bloodborne to get away from the Demon Souls, Dark mm-hmm. Souls tradition. And a lot of the storytelling, the setting, um, it's you know, it's drawing from completely different sources. But it felt wrong not to include Bloodborne amongst all these other Souls games because it's so important. And just the sheer quality. Like, good God. (laughs) Yes. So Bloodborne came out on PS4 exclusively uh, in 2015. 2015 was a really good year for video games, by the way. The Witcher 3 came out that year as well. Um, And, uh, yeah, this is going to get difficult um, because there are multiple composers uh, for Bloodborne. There's kind of a, a, a collaboration with um, Eastern and Western composers as well. Um, so we will hear some distinctly European names coming up. But uh, yeah, so this first track is one of the, the first bosses that you'll fight in Bloodborne um, called the Cleric Beast. And uh, it is directed by Tsukasa uh, Saito. I recently went to a an exhibit at the V&A called uh, Design Play Disrupt, um, and one of the uh, setups that they had was a video, um, uh, several videos, in fact. Um, one on the main screen was just showing uh, somebody successfully playing through um, this fight with the Claret Beast. One in the corner was showing how many times... Um, this was Matt Lees, by the way. Matt Lees... Oh, um, I love him. Uh, of, uh, yeah, of regular features and cool ghosts uh, created this. Um, there was a video of him just failing to defeat it multiple times in the bottom right. And then in the bottom left, it was him uh, with the controller uh, kind of showing um, the panicked inputs when fighting this. But but the the talk he gave over the top of it was talking about how everything about this fight aesthetically is meant to make you panic, mm-hmm. is meant to make you make mistakes, think that you should go in for a hit when really you should have waited. And it was just a great exhibit talking about how aesthetics are game design like it's not two separate things like the music and the look and the animation and the sound design of the cleric beast is playing into how you respond to it as a player and that for me beautifully sums up this piece of music um it is designed to make you panic. Yeah. <laughs> it is designed to get your heart beating and racing and to make you make a mistake make you you know slash your sword a little bit too early to to aggressively go back at the cleric beast when you're trying to regain your health or something like that it's a great piece of panic inducing music uh, and i think it's it's such a good uh illustration of what makes bloodborne different than the souls games because in yeah. the previous ones you know you would fight it's like Oh, I am I am a man with a sword and I do not wish to fight you, but I will if I must or like, you know, half of the bosses. And then here and and many of the Bloodborne bosses are just just the most manic, frenzied, like hanging on by the skin of your teeth against something that 
above all else just wants you dead you know it is yeah and yeah. and the cleric beast you don't you don't know that you're walking into this fight there's not there's not a fall gate the first time you go down and so you're just kind of casually strolling down a lane and and the opening of bloodborne is is very difficult and so you probably feel good like having gotten this far and then this monster the size of a house just like jumps down in front of you and this starts playing and and it screams and the screams are very incorporated into the music you know they they feel like they're kind of one in the same sound design yeah um and yeah, it is it is it is an incredible moment and and probably you know if i had a criticism of bloodborne it would be that most people don't get to see it because the first two encounters are just so hard and so terrifying but but as someone who has beat it and played it through many times i i just love it so much to be the second boss most players will run into is Father Gascoigne, who is this incredibly tragic figure and one of the first that you encounter in the game. I'm sure I'm sure you're already familiar with this, Jacob, mm-hmm. but for the benefit of the listeners, one of the touches I love um, with this fight is the way that 
yes, the soundtrack in the background is great, but also music is actually used as a weapon against him. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this chance that you can find this music box in the world that belongs to his daughter. You know, Father Gascoigne is in the process of changing into a beast. And and later in the boss fight, he just fully surrenders and becomes like a werewolf creature. If you use this this uh, music box early in the fight, it kind of stuns him a little bit, but not a huge amount. If you use this music box after he's transformed and remind him of his daughter and his humanity after he's fully surrendered, it gives you a full, like, it feels like ages, but it's probably only seconds um, uh, of uh, of opportunity to get in, like, some serious damage on him. Aside from the track itself, I like that music is actually an important part of the kind of tragic narrative of this character. Mm-hmm. But then you, then, you, then you talk about the track itself, and um, this track was composed by Ryan Amon, uh, by the way. The track itself called The Hunter. I love how it evolves over time. Oh, my God. So it starts... <laughs> yeah, so it starts out, like, really kind of threatening, and but kind of... It, it, it's gradual. Like, it, it starts kind of like, right, okay, this is a normal dude. He's pretty tough. He knows what he's doing. But I, I can take him. I can take him. And then... As, you know, he gets out his giant staff axe or then finally turns into a werewolf, that music gets more energetic and more threatening. And, yeah, I love I love the way it evolves and, and adds layers as the fight goes on. Oh, it's, it's interesting, actually, that you talked about the cleric beast one making you, like, designed to panic. Because in my mind, this is, like, if if the purpose of a musical track is to affect you emotionally and affect the way you interact with the game this is one of the most effective tracks i've ever heard (laughs) like yeah yeah when he transforms like the the kind of the change in the music when he transforms i think actively makes the fight harder because because one of one of the things about father gascoigne is um in you know he's he, when he turns into a beast, he looks very dangerous. But if you run up and kind of hit him, a lot of his attacks will actually whiff, you know, like it is possible to just kind of get right up next to him and attack him. And the most dangerous thing to do is try and run away from him because he has these huge leaps and he can move much more quickly than you. And so he can just kind of bear down and and pass you into the dirt. But when when this track shifts into the second part and it just starts going like there is there's some part of my like lizard brain that's just like run you know like like yeah, I can't, yeah, I, yeah. I, it's not even something that i'm consciously considering it's just like the sound is telling me that what is over there is more dangerous than anything else in the world and all i can do is get away from it and and so then you run away and then you die and so you really have to like resist the urge to just to just lose it and try and get away and and i i love that the music does that and every time i listen to this i my heart just starts racing so fast because like the music just does that so effectively
Bloodborne also had a DLC that was much celebrated, The Old Hunters, um, where you, the player, enter the Hunter's Nightmare and uncover secrets um, that Bergenworth doesn't want you to find. Um, And uh, you meet a few people who have been in kind of important to the grander law within this nightmare um and you may have even wielded one of the weapons of the the people um that you encounter um uh the first of which being um ludwig um the holy blade this guy was formerly one of the you know one of the greatest most legendary hunters in the bloodborne universe um, and you find him completely malformed. Um, he's turned into a beast. A horse specifically, also. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that I was going to say. Like Specifically, this guy looks more like a horse than a wolf or anything. Um, and he's just... He's much more disfigured than um, any of the other beasts that we've encountered. Like mo- most of the other beasts have kind of like, you know, that, that symmetrical kind of... I've got four limbs. I've got a mm-hmm. giant head and a mouth. I'm I'm good. Whereas this feels like I, I don't know, like something has gone horrifically wrong in the process of. It's like Bloodborne's version of the thing. You know, there are just there are yeah, like yeah. mouths coming off him at every angle, and like yeah, there's a lot going on. But w- what's interesting about this fight is that um, at first he's very much like a wild animal. And then it's like he remembers who he was and who he used to be. And um, he takes on like his whole posture and animation changes entirely. Um, he becomes much more difficult to fight, but he also picks up his his sword, his holy blade. This music um, is brilliant because it kind of reflects that feeling of this this memory of a once noble warrior who has gone astray who's who's become something that he used to hunt down and kill this yeah this this music is truly i mean i have been nothing but enthusiastic over this entire podcast so far but but ludwig the holy blade is kind of on another level for me where i just feel like I saw a comment that that said it feels like you're climbing a colossus and that is what it what it feels like it is it is just so sweeping and grand and it is kind of like you know the the memory of this old great hunter or whatever but um also you've I mean, if you're me, I died so many times to just the first the, the, his kind of first phase where he's just a beast. And and so to kind of feel like you have that conquered and then see him rise up into this even more imposing thing and and have this music starts playing. It's it's like, yeah, it's it's kind of. It feels like it's challenging you to be like, you know, you've killed a lot of things yet, but to to do this, to make it past this obstacle, you are really going to have to up your game. I was listening to this music while I was doing some work and it was like an extended remix and I looked down and realized that I had listened to it for 26 minutes. So that <laughs> that should tell you like how how good I think this track is.
on to another DLC boss and is probably my favorite boss fight in Bloodborne. Um, this is Lady Maria and the track is Lady Maria of the Astral Clock Tower by Yuka Kitamura. This this track is mainly I, I mainly picked this track because this is one of my favorite uh, gameplay moments in the the whole of the Soul series. I think like the only other boss fight I would kind of put on the same level as uh, as Lady Maria is probably um, Artorius. I just think those two fights are perfect. Like I I wouldn't change anything about them, both mechanically and in terms of the the narrative that they kind of convey to the player. I just love the violins at the beginning where it's like, right, something threatening is walking very slowly towards you and very confidently towards mm-hmm. you because she knows that she can carve you to pieces. But then like that threatening kind of those threatening violins kind of give way to a more kind of sweeping kind of tragic music. And, like the the more you learn about Lady Maria, the more tragic a figure she becomes, and a lot of what you learn about her is in retrospect after this fight. Um, and yeah, I, it just kind of ends up feeling like a tribute to this what like one of the few good people in this universe that's operating in a world full of backstabbers and hateful, uh, self serving people. Um, this this track and and this fight feels like a celebration of Lady Maria and and her life. Um, and um, yeah, ultimately, like spoilers, but um, it turns out you're basically freeing her in 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 the nightmare from this kind of looping suicide that she's going through. Um, the doll, um, uh, so the doll is actually, uh, that you see in the hunter's dream is actually based off of Lady Maria. And she says, Oh, I feel a great weight has lifted, um, referencing the fact that you've defeated Lady Maria. And the, the implication is that Lady Maria's torment is over because of your intervention. Um, yeah, love this fight, love this track.
on to the third entry in the Dark Souls series and the last game that we'll be properly covering in this sound of play. Uh, Dark Souls 3, maybe less controversial than Dark Souls 2. I like it. (laughs) uh, I have my issues with it, but we'll save that for the inevitable Kanan Rince issue on that coming soon. So Dark Souls 3 uh, was released in 2016. It came out on PS4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, So for for composing, um, Yuka Kitamura... Um, is the primary composer um, for this game. And um, all of the pieces that we've picked are going to be from him. Um, I think there are a couple in there that aren't um, from Kitamura, but um, the ones that we're we're, we're, uh, featuring are exclusively from him. This was released before the game was released, and I had been feeling kind of maybe over it, you know, like I was, I was, well, it's another Dark Souls, you know, I don't, I don't need to jump in that much. And, and then I heard this, and in some ways, it's, it's just very Dark Souls, you know, it's, it's very big, it's got a lot going on. Um, but, but there's this, this theme in Dark Souls 3 of kind of, entropy of like everything collapsing in on itself and kind of a a building chaos just because everything has been happening so much for so long um and and i feel like this track actually does a pretty good job of portraying that of of just being like you know in in the past our main menu themes have been like pretty low key and and it's like a quiet moment before you jump in and here you are just as soon as you start confronted with just with just everything crashing together and and I think that's really cool and I, I like it a lot.
one of the more memorable boss fights for me in Dark Souls 3 um, are the Abyss Watchers. They do specifically reference uh, Artorias quite a lot in terms of their animation and everything. But what's unique is that there's so many of them. So it's like uh, fighting multiple weaker Artoriuses. Well, and, and they're fighting each other, which is even more exciting. Yeah, and... Yeah, I I re I really like this track. Um, I think it's it very much it, it is very much evoking a similar feel. If not, it's not like outright copying any specific uh, uh, tune from the Artorius fight, but it really feels like it's evoking a similar feel of a uh, feel of like sadness of what was a great. Uh, warrior or, or in this case warriors um kind of reduced to this kind of sad state and yeah the 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 kind of novelty of them all fighting each other makes this into kind of a unique kind of mechanical and narrative experience together yeah i do too if i had one complaint i would just say that the the music is mixed a little low in this track actually because when you're fighting them and they're fighting each other. There's so much kind of like sword clanging going on that I didn't actually realize how good this track was until I like listened to it on its own afterwards. Um, and so it doesn't quite reach the heights of like the the tracks that change how you feel during a fight. This was just like an exciting fight and also a really good piece of music. Um, and and that's good enough for me. But but as we've seen, the the series can actually reach much higher than that.
<laughs> this is the first track where me and you might a- actually have a disagreement. Um, so this this next track is the Soul of Cinder, um, and it plays during the final boss fight. I'm going to let you go first, Jacob. Make your case, and then I am going to counter with my <laughs> right. own thoughts. So. So the the controversial part of this track is is you're fighting you're fighting the soul of Cinder, which is kind of it, it it's a boss that is kind of like you, you know, that it it is another kind of like adventurer who linked to the flames, and as such, uh, it takes on many forms, and sometimes it uses magic, and sometimes it you know uses different kinds of swords, and then about halfway through, it becomes more or less Gwyn from the first game, the the sad king with the piano track. And and in this track, it references musically that most famous of Dark Souls tracks of the Gwyn Lord, Lord of Cinder track. I just like being reminded of things that I have enjoyed in the past. And that's, and that's what this track does. I heard it and I was like, oh, I remember how good that fight was. And now I'm doing it again. And I liked that. But but I think that Josh probably feels differently. So go ahead. As a piece of music in of itself, it's great. It's a great piece of music. I've got nothing against it. And... If I did, I w- I would have contested it being on this on this uh, on this show. But what I don't like about it, and it's kind of my problem with Dark Souls Three as a whole, this music choice encapsulates that problem for me. Whereas it feels like Dark Souls Three is like fan service the video game, <laughs> where like so many moments are like remember this bit from dark souls 1 remember this character from dark souls 1 remember that and i'm just like oh my god just tell me an original story like be confident in 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 like you've got some cool ideas here like i like the the guy i've forgotten his name but the guy who consumes gods all the time Ooh, yes like that's a cool cool story fred there, there's so many like the entropy stuff. I love it. Why are you quoting a moment from Dark Souls 1 to get some kind of cheap nostalgia uh, joy from me? Like, come on, have confidence in the story that you're telling. That is basically my problem with it. The music in of itself, love it. It's great. It's a great piece of music. Um, and, you know, Gwyn, Lord of Cinder, it's a great track and an opportunity to hear it again. Uh, thumbs up, but I just the the context within the game drives me a little bit insane.
Okay, we have one last track to play you all out on, but before we get to that, uh, remember to please venture over to the Canarince Forum. Um, if you want to recommend a track for future Sounds of Sounds of Play, um, you can go over there. You can find uh, our recommendations thread, suggest a track, and we'll include it in a future Sound of Play, hopefully. Also, go over to our Twitter, at Kane and Rince. You can also go over to our Facebook page, slash Kane and Rince. Please subscribe to Sound of Play and leave us a review on whatever podcast app you like to use. iTunes, preferably, just because it's the big one, you know, please. Um, and also make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, etc., etc. That's it for the formality. So it just leaves me to thank Jacob for joining me on this issue. Yeah, my pleasure. Turns out I like these games a lot. <laughs> Who could have guessed? Yes, any, any opportunity to talk souls, um, I, me and Jacob are there. So what I wanted to play us out on is, you know, Sekiro is around the corner. So why not give us all a little preview of what's to come in the musical world of Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, with a uh, early release track called The Corrupted Monk. This is also by uh, Yuka Kitamura, um, and I am very much looking forward to Sekiro coming out, out at the end of this month. Um, so, yeah, enjoy! Enjoy!